We're in Acts chapter 7, so this is a chapter, it's 60 verses that mainly cover the history of Israel. And what's really cool about that, I just happen to have been um, doing my devotional time in the morning in Genesis and Exodus, and I'm, I'm going through all that, and then I come to Acts chapter 7, and it's all kind of covered here. I could have read the short version, but, you know, I, I like getting the details of, you know, Genesis and Exodus, so it's, it's kind of cool um, to see what God is speaking to us through these things. The, the nation of Israel was supposed to stand out. God didn't make a click. He didn't say, okay, uh, I'm going to choose you guys. Don't invite anyone. You know, just stay, you know, in your little group. He wanted to reach the world, and he was going to do that by showing how his people were different than the rest of the world. There was going to be a contrast. Unfortunately, today, we see that the church is just as much part of the world as it is set apart from the world. And many in the church that call themselves Christians are doing exactly what the world is doing. And it's very confusing for people who don't know, who don't have a, a biblical background, who don't have a biblical understanding. Now they see this and they're like, well, why do I need the church if I'm... You know, doing the same things. I'm, I'm a good person, you know, so I don't need to, because there are people in the church that are not good people, you know, and I, I'm not going to call them out by name, um, by Hymenius and Phagellus, right? Uh, those, Paul mentioned them, so I'll mention them, okay? But they've been dead for a long time. So as we look to what's going on in the world today, we recognize that we should be standing out just like Israel was supposed to be standing out to the world. Israel was supposed to be the light that people saw and were drawn to that light. They should see the advantage of a relationship with God. They sometimes can't see that because the people of God are suffering more than the people of the world. Moaning and complaining and just, oh, I'm just, oh, life is so terrible and, and, and stuff. Well, death will be better. I mean, well, when we leave here, it'll get better. But so we should um, actually be setting an example. The nation of Israel didn't. Today's message is titled, The History of Israel. They lost their way many times. These people that God had blessed so greatly. Every time they were blessed, they kind of walked away from the blessing. They wanted to do their own thing. That can happen to us in the church. I, I don't want us to believe that we are so exclusive, being blessed by God so much, that we can't fall away also. As a matter of fact, the Bible warns us over and over again not to do that, to be careful of it. And so here, when we look at what's going on 
in Israel or the history of Israel as Stephen is going to present this. Remember, we're, we're picking up, we, we've been going through the book of Acts. We just finished a three-year study, a chronological study through the Gospels. And now we're reading through Acts and we're seeing how all of that led up to this. And now as they are living uh, the, being the church, as they're living the example they're supposed to do, we're going to see the struggles that they go through. We're, we're going to see the challenges. Well, Stephen is one of those challenges. He just got promoted to being a waiter, uh, you know, serving at tables. And, you know, he's one of the seven that were promoted to do something. And he had, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was out there ministering to people, performing miracles and and. You know, people recognized the fact that this guy was spirit-filled. He was just doing phenomenal things. Things that the apostles were known for doing, he was doing. And he's just a waiter. He's just one of the guys that is serving. I just want to encourage you. All of us are called to serve in one way or another. And I don't know what your gift is. Some of you I do. Um, but many of you, I don't know what your gift is, but that's between you and God. When God tells you what your gift is, go for it. He's not going to let you down. He, he's not going to say, um, you know, I, I don't want to use your gift today. You know, I, I just, you know, I'm going to put you on the shelf. No, he'll use the gift that he's given you. Don't try to take on another gift. Oh, well, I have this gift today, you know, uh, just take what God is giving you and run with it and see how he is going to do things. Israel, they just kept losing their way over and over, in and out of captivity, worshiping other gods. They had all kinds of challenges. So we're going to jump right in with verse 1 where we read, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? Well, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Stephen. Stephen is now on trial. He's before the council. The same council that put Jesus on trial now have Stephen in front of them and putting Stephen on trial. And remember the last verse in, in chapter 6. It says, And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. He's glowing. He's just emitting the Holy Spirit visibly so people can see there's something powerful about him. And, and so now he was accused falsely by these false witnesses. I, I feel bad for false witnesses. In the day of judgment, I think their judgment is going to be a, a little harsher because they were false witnesses. They misrepresented the truth and they lied. And I think their judgment is going to be a little harsher. And I, I feel bad for them. I hope they repent uh, before them. But here are these false witnesses. And the high priest said, are these things so? He's giving Stephen a chance now to argue his case. He doesn't have a defense attorney. He's there on his own. And now he's going to make the argument. 
And he starts off, brethren and fathers, listen. He, he starts off saying, I want you to listen to me. He calls them brethren and fathers. He's recognizing them as fellow Jews, right? Was Stephen a Jew? Well, that's challenging. May not have been, probably not. So, here he is saying brethren and fathers. These are the fathers of the faith, right? These are the religious rulers. They are the fathers of Judaism. And so, as he's addressing them, he says... The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And so he starts off with Abraham, the father of every Jew. Uh, well, really, he's the father of us all, in a sense, because God has made him and said, I'm going to bless the nations through you. This is a guy that didn't even have a child at that point. And he says, I'm, see the stars? Look, see the sand? There's going to be, you can't number what you're going to see, your descendants. And Abraham's like, what? I don't even have a kid. And you're going to do that? Okay. And so... We hear in Hebrews that he believed in faith, that God was going to do those things. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And then from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to the land in which you now dwell. So here's Stephen saying, look, Abraham did what God told him to do, almost. He went to Haran. He was supposed to leave his family behind. But he was dragging his father along. Then when his father died, then he left. And he went to where he was supposed to go, Israel. And so it wasn't Israel at the time. It was the land of Canaan at the time. And so he goes there and uh, he follows what the Lord told him to do. And it's the land in which they were dwelling in. The land in which Stephen was now being tried in. And God gave him no inheritance of it, in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised, God promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. So here is what Abraham is told. I'm going to give you descendants forever. But before that, your descendants are going to go into bondage, into a land that you don't know, and they're going to be in bondage for 400 years. Well, that happened, right? So Joseph, well, we're going to talk about him in a minute. Let's just um, keep reading from there. So he said, um, and the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob 
begot the 12 patriarchs. So now we have the beginning of the nation of Israel as uh, Abraham does what he was supposed to do. Then he got the covenant of circumcision from God. Circumcision being the physical indication that someone is Jewish, that someone is in the family of God. They're Hebrews because of this circumcision uh, that they have. It's an outward um, indication that they were now Jewish, that they were part of this family of Abraham. And uh, so that was passed down to Isaac. And, and he was said, everyone, you, you even do this to your servants, and they become part of the family of God by the circumcision. But just doing that doesn't make anyone saved. There are many people that are circumcised in the world today that are not saved. They don't know anything about God. Some of these people worship other gods. They don't have any religion. And some of them are complete atheists. So circumcision is good for nothing unless you believe God what he said about this is the sign of what you believe, and then this is what you need to believe. You need to follow after this. We, as Christians, have a deposit, a down payment for our salvation. His name is the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. It's something that's inward. People can't see, as in circumcision, they can't see. And so, but people can see the outward impact of having the Holy Spirit in your life. It's something that changes you from the inside out. Circumcision was changing them from the outside in, especially if they were obedient. Others were just circumcised and did what they wanted to do. So it wasn't something that had a great impact in their lives. So then in verse 9, it says, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So the patriarchs, the ten of Jacob's sons, decided that they didn't like Joseph because, you know, he had favoritism with dad. He had, dad gave him a coat. He went around, you know, in this fancy coat. They're all out working in the field. Oh, here comes, I can tell it's Joseph because the coat is coming from a mile away. They can see him, you know, out there coming towards, and they just didn't like him. And, and then to rub salt into the womb, Joseph tells him about a dream. Oh, I had a dream. You were all bowing down before me. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's a good way to get in with your brothers, you know? So they sold him into slavery. He went, Dad said, go out there and check on the boys. Joseph goes out there and they throw him into a ditch and they were going to kill him. 
and instead they sold him into slavery. He's taken um, to Egypt, and then he's sold to the house of Potiphar. I'm, I'm still trying to get to the idea, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles. Hold on, he was in a pit, then he sold to Potiphar, and then he's in that house, but he got to be ruler at the house. He got to make all the decisions of what is bought and sold and traded, and, and he's running the house. Potiphar's wife said, hey, good-looking kid, hey, come into it. And he said, no, I'll have no part of it. You know, I wouldn't do that to my master. And she tries to get him and grabs his robe. He goes running off. Everyone knows this story. And then he gets thrown in jail because she accuses him, false accusing again. And now he gets thrown into prison. Oh, thank you, Lord. You know, it just doesn't seem like you can be grateful for something like that. But then he's in prison and he's put in charge of prison. Really, you know? So obviously there's something. And then he's, you know, telling dreams and, and oh, my God can do that. And he tells them the dreams and one guy says, oh, yeah, you're going to be restored. And the other guy, yep, yeah, your head's coming off. And, and so it was good news and bad news. But he said, remember me when, you know, you get freed so that I can get out of here. It took him two years. He was still in there for two more years before he went to the king and said, oh, you had a dream? I know a guy. And um, he's, I, I forgot to tell you about him two years ago. I was supposed to. And so Joseph tells the dream. He interprets the dream. It says, oh, there's going to be seven good years, seven bad years. So he's put his governor over the land, second in charge of all of Egypt, a Hebrew. And here he is going to be running things. God was with him. You see, God was not just with him in the fact that he blessed him with cushy jobs. God was with him because he gave them the wisdom to be able to do those things. It wasn't just like, hey, Joseph, I'm going to just bless you with abundance. All you have to do is sit around. And, and no, he, he was wise. He knew what to do. And God blessed him with that wisdom, with that gift. And so he became governor in uh, the land. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we don't see how God is blessing us through those circumstances. We think we're in prison by our circumstances. And God wants to set us free from that prison. But sometimes we're just in there mad at all the other prisoners, fighting with everyone, you know, hey, we're all in this together. So can you keep your mess over there and, you know, stay away from me, don't get... No, he was in charge of the prison and he was ministering to the prisoners. He was making sure everything was taken care of in the prisoner, in the prison. We should be doing that too. 
ministering to each other, taking care of, we're prisoners still, you know, it doesn't feel like it. And, and especially here in Fountain Hills, doesn't feel like a prison. I mean, it seems like we're living a pretty cushy life here. But compared to heaven, this is prison. We're going to be amazed. We're not going to say, can, can you send us back to Fountain Hills? <laughs> we're not going to say that. Because God has something so much better planned for us. And when our hearts are right, even while we're here, when our hearts are right, we can experience what's coming next just in the peace that we experience, in the joy that we have in knowing who we are. You know, I love the fellowship before I start, you know, the message. I love the time of fellowship, just sharing with one another, greeting visitors, so on and so forth. It's just exciting to see the, the family getting together. We're going to spend eternity together. It's going to take a long time to get everyone's name down. <laughs> but we're going to do it. We're, we're going to be there for eternity. In the meantime, while we're here, we should be looking forward to that and encouraging each other in that. We should be, you know... Looking forward to that day where we're all going to sit down at that table. We're all going to have a meal together. That's why we have events where we can get together and have a meal. We're just practicing. I have a lot more practice than some of you guys. But, you know, I, I, I get to eat a lot more of those meals. But I'm looking forward to it. You know what? Joseph was a type of Jesus. He was a type. He was someone <clears throat> that was persecuted and didn't deserve to be persecuted. Okay, he didn't do anything wrong, but he did what he was supposed to do, and he suffered for doing what was right. And that's a type of Jesus to come. We'll be talking more about types later on. God is still working with his people today the same way that he was working with Joseph. Even though... There was trouble coming. Joseph was prepared. He knew what was coming. And he was able to prepare. He was able to save others because he was prepared. We know it's coming. We know what the future holds. We don't know the day or the hour of his return in the clouds for us. We don't know. I, I pray it's today maybe tomorrow because I'm getting some brisket today and I'm really looking forward to that and you know so tomorrow would be good but you know what when we're out of here we're going to be so good with that but I feel for all the people that aren't ready for his return you know I, I want them to come along too so that's our opportunity. As Christians, economic downturns are not going to impact us. Even if we suffer loss, we're not going to lose our salvation because of an economic downturn. We're going to be okay. We're going to make it out of here. You know, God has not experienced an economic downturn. I, you know, I, 
I, ha I don't have to check his account. I just have to check my own heart. So we should be preparing for the storm ahead. Not every Christian is prepared, by the way. There are many Christians that are Christians, they're saved, but they're not prepared for what's coming next. And I think it's part of what God gives us to do to enable us to share the good news, to be an encouragement for them. Verse 12. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people in all. So here's Jake. Uh, here's Joseph. He's in charge. Jacob is sending his sons, go get food. They have food down in Egypt. And Joseph is the one that is saving all the food. He's the one that made it possible for them to have food. And God sends them down. So eventually he's re he reveals himself to his brothers and they had bowed down to him just like he said they were going to do. And then eventually they moved down, the whole family, all fa up to 75. It says 75 here. It says 70 in um, Exodus or in Genesis. That it says there's about five, maybe there were five born on the way. But when they get down there, they're in Egypt and they stay there. They have the best lands God provided for them and blessed them. This is the history of Israel. This is Jacob, remember what his name was, Israel. He was the beginning of Israel. And so now the patriarchs are all together down there. And I know they were probably freaked out because they thought that Joseph was going to wipe them out. But uh, Joseph didn't do that. Although if I were Joseph, I probably would have. My, they would all be gone. But, you know, that's what happens when you're from New York. You kind of get this mentality that, okay, if you're going to mess with me, I'm going to mess with you type thing, but I've lived in Arizona long enough, so now I have that solar lobotomy, and I don't really think that much about, you know, getting revenge. Um, okay, verse 15, so Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. And this man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so they might not live. And so here's Joseph in, the, in, in Egypt, he was able to bless uh, the people of Israel, the, the Hebrews, the children of Israel. He was able to bless Egypt by preparing them uh, for what was coming. But after that Pharaoh died, after Joseph died, after everyone was gone, now there's just a bunch of Jews living amongst 
those in Egypt. And it was a problem now because they didn't have a leader that was leading them to the truth. They didn't have someone that was helping them do what was right. See, Joseph was the one. He was the example. But once he was gone, the favor kind of went away because nobody took that role. Don't rely on a pastor. Don't rely on a pastor to be the one to make you feel good, to get you through hard times. Rely on Jesus. Because when the pastor is gone, Jesus is the only one you really have to rely on. And so while I can teach the word and I love ministering because that's what God gave me the opportunity to do, our focus should always be on Jesus. So that when trouble comes, we don't fall apart. If I am not here tomorrow, uh, you know what? It continues, what we're doing continues because it's about Jesus, not about who's up here teaching. And that's in every church. I know a lots of people that are so focused on certain pastors that teach certain things and they're really enamored by what they teach and how they teach and so on and so forth. I want to encourage everyone, read it for yourself. They're just plagiarizing. You know, we have the word of God. So let God be the one that fills those voids, not a person, uh, not someone standing out. So Joseph, when he was gone and then a new Pharaoh came in, there was no one there to fill that void. And so the Pharaoh just saw the Israelites as trouble that they're going to be. So instead of letting them dominate the Egyptians, because they got pretty big, they got pretty strong, because God was blessing them. And so they grew and became strong as a nation. And so Egypt said, hey, they're going to be trouble. We got to do something about this while we can. And they had to prepare themselves. So eventually they were going to be enslaved for 400 years. Verse 20, at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. All, all he did was be born and he's well-pleasing. You know, isn't that great? You know, and, and, and all of our kids, when they're born, they're like, oh, what, what a joy. You know, oh, look how nice it is to have it. And then they turn 12. And then all of a sudden, they're in charge of, of your world. And, and you know what? It's the fact that we um, need to pour into them so that they grow up properly. And, and hopefully, when they do turn 12, 13, 14, um, that they're uh, independent in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that's not always the case, but that's our goal, to pour into them. And Moses, he was born, he was well-pleasing to God. 
And he was not going to be perfect. Just because he was born and well-pleasing God doesn't mean that's how it was the rest of his life. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. Now, Moses, we know the story, he, Pharaoh was going to kill the Jewish babies that were born, the Israelite babies that were born. And so every Hebrew child that was born, if it was a female, they were allowed to live. If it was a male, they were to be put to death. And Moses was born and then stayed in his father's house for three months and then was put into a basket, set into the water, and Pharaoh's daughter found Moses there and raised him in the Egyptian, in the Pharaoh's household, basically. And so he was learned, he was raised up in all the things of Egypt. All the skills, all the knowledge, all the wisdom of Egypt. He was raised up that way. But he was Hebrew. This is the hand of God. In that while he was there being raised up in all this Egyptian culture... He still was independent of it, having a desire to be with his people. He had a desire to be with his fellow Hebrews. We'll see in a minute. The Egyptian culture didn't impact his life in such a way that it changed him from being who he was, created by God. Sometimes we can build relationships with people that are not believers, that have their own worldview or have a worldview of another religion, and, and they can be part of our lives. The most important thing is that we don't lose what we believe. We don't lose our culture as Christians. We don't lose our, we don't let their worldview impact our worldview. If their worldview impacts us even a little bit, then we end up opening churches that invite sin into the church because we want to be more like the world. We want to be accepted by the world. And that's what we see going on right now in our world today. There are churches that call themselves Christian, but they're inviting sin in because of love. The, the key word is love. God is love, so we should love, and we should love everyone. And that's exactly true. We should love everyone. But they need to know the truth. They need to, the opportunity to receive the truth. So if someone came in here that was 
a sinful person. You can tell by what they wear or how they talk or who they come with. And they come into the church. I wouldn't say, oh, you're not welcome here. They're welcome here. They're welcome to hear what God wants to speak to them. And they're welcome to repent from their sin. I'm not expecting that in 10 minutes. I will let them learn and we will show them the truth. And hopefully the Lord working on their heart will lead them into the truth and away from their sin. That's how people get saved. You know, if I went to church before I got saved, I did go to church before I got saved, the Catholic church, but everyone was just like me at that point, you know, in the church that I was in. So it, I wasn't, you know, too much, oh yeah, I was still pretty bad. But you know what, they, I was only 12, so how bad can I be? Um, but I, everyone was like me, so I got along with everyone that way. But when I became a believer, I realize I can't come into the church bringing my baggage with me, bringing my life with me into the church because it's just wrong. It's not that because they wouldn't accept it, because I knew it was wrong. The Holy Spirit has convicted me of that. And so we need to know where that dividing line is. Moses is a great example for us. You see, Moses was raised in the Egyptian culture for 40 years, but he still had a heart for the Hebrew culture, and he wanted to get back to his roots. He wanted to see what God was going to do, and I believe God had been working on his heart. And nobody comes to the Lord except if the Holy Spirit draws them. And I believe that there are many people out there in the world that the Holy Spirit is drawing them, we could be part of it. We, we can be someone that goes out and shares with them the good news. And when we tell them the good news, all of a sudden their eyes are going to be open. They're going to be like, oh, that's what my heart has been telling me. <sighs> um, Moses, the same way, his heart had been telling him, you know, this is what you were called to do. But he hadn't quite uh, got there yet. So we are, I'm, I'm somewhere in here. Um, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, verse 23, to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Here's what we do when we act on our emotions instead of on God's direction and calling. Sounded like a good idea. You know, oh, he's hurting one of my people. I'll just kill him. And, and so it, it sounded like it was going to be a, a good plan. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting. And tried to reconcile them saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? And but he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? 
Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Whoa, he's been outed. Here are two of his brethren, Hebrews, fighting with each other. And he's like, hold on, guys, what are you doing? Why do you, why, oh, yeah, I saw you kill the Egyptian yesterday. Who are you? We as Christians have to be careful of how we represent Christ. The same way as Moses was outed because, well, he thought it was a good thing. He was doing something for the Lord, killing an Egyptian. You know, that's something for the Lord. Uh, but, but that wasn't what the Lord called him to do. And so now he is going to impact negatively his own people because of that. And now instead of being the leader, he's the outcast. He, he has to fear for his own life. And then at the saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. So he was a bad example, and he ran away. Uh, that some, sometimes we run away because we're concerned about what God, you know, is going to think about how we mess things up. Guilty. You know, there were times where I thought I was doing the will of God and, oh, I, I wasn't exactly doing the will of God. I was doing my own thing, thinking that it was what God wanted me to do. You know, and then I realized later on, oh, that wasn't what God wanted me to do. And in the 90s, I was stationed in uh, Long Beach, California, and I, uh, I was in the Navy. And that's where I, saw, I had already been to a Pentecostal church. That's where I got saved. Uh, I was charismatic. That's where I got all of my, um, my gifts and then I gave them all back because I realized they were my gifts, not his gifts. And I, okay, that, that's just what, you know, happens sometimes. Then I went to a Baptist church and I, I solved all the problems of the world there. And that lasted a year and I just realized I'm not getting what I need. I, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel disappointed, depressed, struggling. And then I went to a Calvary Chapel and going to it this is 87 um, so I went to a Calvary Chapel in Seal Beach California and I heard the word of grace and when I heard grace I knew that this was a message for me the good news is it's for everyone but because I recognized it as a message for me it was personal. And I began to have a personal relationship that I didn't have before. Everything was through the church or through religion or through works or through whatever. And I didn't have that personal relationship because I was missing grace. And then I found grace. It found me. And we started on this relationship that took many years. So I struggled in many different ways until... I, now, 
I, I wasn't perfect in 87. It took till I was 93. In 93, then I, I no, I, I, I've been in the church since then, but I'm not perfect yet. Anyone here perfect yet? We're not going to be perfected until we leave this earth. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Well, uh, that work is the perfection of Jesus Christ. And then we will be perfected at that time. So we have to continue to work at it. Moses thought that he had it all solved, but he didn't. Even though he was told, he was directed what he was going to do, uh, he didn't have it. And then when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, in a fire, on a, in a bush, in the wilderness. Can you imagine? A bush is on fire, and then it starts talking to him. And Moses saw it, and he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And the Lord said, take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come and I will send you to Egypt. And Moses, whom they rejected, saying... Who made you the ruler and judge is the one that God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel, capital A. This is talking about, and this is a, a presence of Jesus Christ, a Christophany here in the Old Testament, and who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out, and after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Moses, like Joseph, is a type of Jesus. He did wonders and marvels and signs so that everyone could see that this was the hand of God. That's what Jesus was going to do also. Moses was an example of that. And this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. The one who received the living oracles to give to us whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For this Moses, who brought us to the land of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. So here's Moses. He goes up. 40 days up on the mountain with the Lord, comes back down, and the people made idols. Remember, they took their earrings and everything, and Aaron said, oh, I just threw them in the fire, and this thing came walking out. Yeah, right. But they didn't know what happened to Moses. And Moses was with God, spending time with the Lord. And then he came down. Remember his face shone and he had to wear a mask over it, a veil over it. So 
you know, they wouldn't be so enamored with his face. And he gave them the law. They didn't want the law. They wanted a golden calf. They wanted an idol. And Moses was frustrated with them, but he led them out into the wilderness for 40 years. Now, Moses, uh, he was old. You know, he, so far we've seen two 40-year periods. So he started this at 80 years old. So if you're 80, it's time to get going. You know, time to start the work. You know, uh, so here's Moses out there starting to do what he was supposed to do. But he led them through and the tabernacle of meeting them was, was created. And they used that tabernacle to meet with God. And Moses would go in, he'd meet with God and he'd go out and he'd tell the people what they were supposed to be doing. And they were worshiping calves and idols until then. They were doing all kinds of weird stuff. God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven who it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God Rephim, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And so here is their history. Remember, this isn't something that as the council is listening, they were saying, oh, I've never heard this before. They've heard all this. They know what this is. He wasn't presenting something new. He was leading them through the history of Israel, through the facts to get them to where they needed to be. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers having received in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles. This is going into the land of Canaan. They brought the tabernacle in and the Canaanites, all of the people, the Gentiles who were in the land fled whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the t days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for God, uh, the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. See, David wasn't allowed to because he was a man of blood. He wasn't allowed to build the temple there as if God needs a house, right? However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Oh, what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Sometimes we get caught up in that, thinking that we are the ones doing work. You know, I, I am surprised, I'm amazed at technology. You know, and some of the, now we have a computer in our hands. Amazing, right? Smartphones, they're just incredible. There's nothing smart about them. It's the person using it that makes it a smartphone. It, otherwise, it's just a piece of plastic and transistors and stuff. And, and so here is our, uh, um, you know, technology that we think is so wonderful. It can become 
a God. It can become the tool, the instrument that leads us away from God because we're more interested in technology, TVs and cell phones and, and, and computers. And, and we can lose sight of the one that created it all. He could have, when he created Adam and Eve, created the iPhone. He could have done it. He could have given Adam an iPhone and said, here, here is how you just Google it and you will figure out how to do everything that you need to do, right? But he didn't do that. He gave all the resources to do what Adam needed to get done. And that's been through history all the way till now. He's given us the resources. But we take those resources and advance them to the edge. It's the cutting edge of technology. Information continues to multiply. In Daniel, it says that in the last days, it's going to be multiplying like crazy. And they say that our information is now multiplying every year and a half. It doubles. You know, uh, that's amazing. Look how much smarter we are from a year and a half ago. <laughs> Never mind. Obviously, the politicians haven't heard about this. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to write them. You stiff-necked, and uh, I, I, I love now, here, here's Stephen now. He brought them up to date, and now he's calling them out. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Remember, they were circumcised. They were Jews. But he said, in your heart and in your ears, you're not circumcised. You're not devoted to God with your heart and your ears. You're just physically, outwardly devoted to God. And sometimes we can do that. We go through the motions, but the devotion is not in our heart. And sometimes we go through dry spells. Have you ever done that, gone through a dry spell? We all have. Okay, we've all gone through dry spells in our life. And God is faithful to get us through those wilderness times that we go through in our lives. He, he wants to bring us through so he can show himself strong on our behalf. So he can demonstrate his love, his peace, his joy, even through the struggles that we go through. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did so do you which of the prophets did your father not persecute and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and not kept it when they heard these things they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopping their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. So that's how excited they were to hear the good news. And this is the history of Israel. When 
they are told about the Messiah. They supposedly were excited for the Messiah. But then when the Messiah came, they killed the Messiah. Steve, Stephen was just calling them out. This is what you did. This is still the history of Israel, and you guys are part of it. You guys are the ones that killed the Messiah, the one that you're supposedly looking for. The Jews are back in their land 2,000 years after their land was overrun, the temple destroyed. They're back in their land now. They're still empty. They're still just flesh and bones, but spiritually they're dead. But that's not going to be their end condition because we're told that the spirit of the living God is going to come back into them. But I believe that happens once we're gone, once the church is gone. And when the church is removed, then the 70th week of Daniel starts. And then God is going to fulfill the rest of the promises that he made to Israel. In the meantime, we are the benefactors. We're the ones who are receiving the blessings of Abraham. We're the ones that are living now the promises that God has made to the whole world. And we're the ones that are the recipients of this blessing. It's an awesome thing. And we get to live in the days, I believe, when he's going to return. Isn't that? Would you rather live in the time when Jesus was walking on the earth? I would have kind of liked that too, right? Except there was no air conditioning. There were no Keurigs. I mean, what? What are we going to do? And, and, but no, we're living in a time. Why didn't Jesus come now? You know, instead of coming back then and being born in a hospital and, you know, at least things would have been different for him. No, God knew the perfect time. He knew when everything was supposed to happen. He knows the end of the story. And the good news is he told it to us. And then he told us, by the way, you get to be part of the story. And now we are getting to live out the rest of the story. And as they're stoning him, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen. And he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus. See, it's another one of those verses that show us Jesus was God. And saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I would have been saying, wipe them out. Right? But he said, don't charge them with this sin. And when he had said that, he fell asleep. Here he is. He just gets a vision of God with Jesus standing at his right side. 
And then he's taken out of the city and he's stoned to death. And he has the right mind to ask that they don't get charged for this sin. And that kind of gives me uh, an idea of what the attitude was. Even though he was being stoned physically, he was at peace. And, you know, and he wasn't saying, Lord, have them stop so I can live another day here on this earth. He was heavenly minded. Because he knew if they stopped that tomorrow it would be the same thing again, right? So he just wanted out. And he knew that there was something better on the other side. So there was no reason to stay here any longer. He got to use his gifts to heal people, to lead people in a relationship. You know, if any one of us had those kind of gifts to perform miracles like that, cast out demons and, and, and heal people from sickness and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, we were doing that. We would say, hey, I want to stay here and do that some more. Uh, Stephen was like, okay, I would rather be with the Lord than to be here one more day. And that should be our attitude as believers. In the meantime, we should be sharing, just like Stephen was being used by God, whatever our gift is, to be used by God to minister that gift to the people that need it. We can minister it to each other, and then we can minister it to the world, and so that the world can get a picture of who we were. Saul was there. He was watching this take place right before him. And I believe Saul became Paul much because of the testimony of Stephen there. Oh, he was still sold out for the religious rulers. He was still following the Lord of this world until he was on the road to Damascus and found out that everything he believed in was false. Many people today are finding out that everything they believe in is false. They're watching what's going on in the world and they realize this ain't right. We could never imagine that we would see what's going on in the world today, especially being in the United States. We, we could never believe that this is how things were going to turn out. But we've had the Bible and we know the end of the story. So we should be even more believing now because we're seeing the hand of God fulfill the end of the story. Amen.